for your Emmy consideration for Outstanding Drama Series and all other categories. HBO's original series, Perry Mason, starring Matthew Rees, is set in 1932 Los Angeles. The series focuses on the origin story of famed defense lawyer Perry Mason. Living check to check as a low-rent private investigator, Mason is haunted by his wartime experiences in France and suffering the effects of a broken marriage. All episodes are now streaming on HBO Max. Heading into this Emmy season, Apple TV Plus's comedy series Ted Lasso is already on fire. Jason Sudeikis won a Golden Globe and SAG for Best Actor in a Comedy Series, and Ted Lasso counts two WGA wins for comedy and new series. We're here today on Crew Call with Ted Lasso's co-creator Bill Lawrence and casting director Teo Park, who has casted a number of big projects such as Amazon's upcoming Lord of the Rings series, Star Wars The Force Awakens, and Star Wars The Last Jedi. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandra. One of the things I love about this is the whole the whole uh, comedy between how different Americans and Brits are. And it brings me back, one of the most hysterical moments on film was in A Fish Called Wanda when, um, I believe it was, no, it was Cleese who did a Texan accent and it was just genius. So the whole collision of this and the whole fish out of water is just hysterical. And then on top of that, you've got the heart here. What, how was this all conceived? Was this based on an actual situation of a coach uh, who was completely inexperienced uh, to take on a team and um, how was Jason involved in, in developing it? Now, look, Jason came up with the character with Brendan Hunt and Joe Kelly. The three of them came up with Ted Lasso for a series of promotional films eight years before this show. Uh, um, they're all guys that worked in improv comedy together and friends. And you can go watch those videos. It was to promote the people call them commercials, but they're not commercials. They're promotional videos uh, for the Premier League, kind of to sell the Premier League here. And Jason played a very bombastic, loud, classic American, yelling and screaming at everybody, uh, over the top ignorant, and they're super funny and sketchy. And, uh, you know, the hardest thing about selling this show was, you know, when Jason came to me, he's like, I think this could be a TV show. One of the things that we agreed on was that Ted would be much quieter, you know, empathetic. It was about forgiveness. It was about mentorship and it had some emotional depth. And uh, we always take, time to tip our hats to Apple. They were the only ones that bought it because they were the only ones that were able to watch those very, very funny original videos and still hear us when we said it's not going to be that, you know what I mean? It's going to be uh, uh, a little more subtle. And as for the real influence, uh, I'll tell you honestly, Jason, something that Jason said is he said, you know, when we um, did those videos initially, it was so ludicrous for anybody to consider you know, populism hitting sports and having a, uh, a dude that had never coached football, you know, British football uh, coach a team. And we had entered a time in American history that we had a reality show as president. And so I think the people are able, and that was the basis is that people have really quickly gotten to a place 
that it's not as huge a buy for somebody that's completely unqualified for something to end up doing it. The, um, as far as let's, let's talk about uh, the casting here. You know, quite often it is decided, you know, I, we always hear about type uh, that, oh, they were a great actor, but they weren't the right type. What were the types that you were looking for in assembling this cast? Obviously soccer team, but can you, can you expound on that? How did sure. you want to paint this? For example, we have Hannah's character and, um, and Jeremy's, and just the difference in looks between them is hysterical. He's kind of the frumpy, befuddled, you know, right-hand guy, and she's like the sharp, you know, uh, executive. Uh, a different guy, a different looking guy in Jeremy's role might not have as much as the same comedic effect. Can you talk about this? Sure, look, the casting, and then I'm, I'm gonna um, say lots of nice things about Theo. The, uh, uh, the casting, you always have to start with Jason because what's so cool is when you, it's like having an answer key to a final exam when you're a kid in high school. If you have the lead of your show already cast and you're kind of picking the planets that circle around him if he's the sun, you know? And one of the reasons this show came to be was I've been, I was in pursuit of Jason Sudeikis in casting for a long time. I, was, I chased him down and met with him about a different project because he was, you know, when you talk about looks, he's an enigma. That dude is, is it can be a silly male comedic lead, a handsome male dramatic lead, uh, uh, an arch, you know, comedic villain. Do you know what I mean? A, and if you go look at his movies, like Sleeping with Other People or, or Horrible Bosses, you know, he's a little bit like a chameleon. And so once we had him at the center, it was kind of, um, uh, 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 you know, a free-for-all in the pieces that we put around him. I will tell you, we started with Hannah, um, and I know that that was a huge effort for um, um, Theo because not only was she doing all the work, you know, hunting actors and actresses down, but she was doing it in a vacuum because we wanted everybody other than Jason and the guy that plays Coach Beard, Brendan Hunt, one of the other creators to be British and to be cast from over there. And therefore, there are people that we weren't inherently familiar with, you know, and we had to just go from Theo's word and, and putting him in. Uh, Jeremy Swift being one of them. He's a guy that by the time he had read, the only thing we knew of him um, was, uh, what, which dramatic show was he in, Theo? He was in Downton. And Downton Abbey. You might have seen him in Downton Abbey. Yeah, I saw clips of him in Downton Abbey. But as far as putting the cast together, one of the I do love that stuff comedically. The second Hannah was cast, I think all of us knew that casting Juno Temple, who's an amazing actress, is her best friend. And uh, uh, having that height difference, you know, of those two in an almost kind of Mutt and Jeff type way would be really funny. And uh, uh, yeah, Theo also had the burden of going, um, hey, and anybody that we cast is going to have to have a shootable football slash soccer skills so that we don't have to stunt double everybody and simultaneously be able to act uh, and, and be as good as Phil Dunster is, who plays Jamie Tart, or Tahib Jima, who plays uh, Sam, or even Danny Rojas. Uh, uh, who is played by a former professional footballer named Christo Fernandez, who then went to theater school and, and changed his, you don't have a lot of people go, we're looking for former professional athletes who then switched gears in their mid twenties and became really accomplished <laughs> actors. It's very, very hard. I was, 
I, I'm, I'm totally going, veering from my line of questioning, but Danny Rojas, let's, let's talk about finding that actor. I mean, he is just, I mean, he's hysterical. <laughs> he's, he's, by the way, he's lovely. And uh, uh, in real life, he helped create the character. Because, Theo, you remember he sent in tapes to you first for yeah. Jamie Tart for that That's part. Right. And then, and because we, you were planning and you were planning a new inclusion to the team later on in the season, and he was originally written as as an Icelandic, and I was going to be looking for him later. But you guys were so blown away by Christo's tape um, for Danny Rojas, who he wasn't who he wasn't right for back then, and then that you decided to change the role of of the Icelandic and turn him into this Mexican. Yeah, and it's a good question because the way we changed the role uh, really came down to who Christo was as a human in between takes when he sent his audition tape and he had this exuberance, you know, and this, uh, I'm so happy to be reading for you. I'm so happy to be, he had that kind of, this is the best thing that's ever happened, you know, kind of like football a human life. puppy dog. He, he, he came up with football is life. He did. He said football is life in one of his, uh, uh, in one of his auditions. It might have not even been in, in his sides. It might've just been when he was talking about himself as a football player. <laughs> and then in the writer's room, we said, that guy's going to say that constantly. <laughs> it's going to be the greatest thing in the world. How, Bill, how often are you inspired by the, I mean, I'm sure this happens all the time, but in this case with Ted Lasso, how often were plot lines inspired by the people that you were casting? You know what, I've, I've worked uh, in, te in a lot of my shows, I, I find that I have, um, you know, it's not working backwards, but you know, worked in a different direction, casting first. I mean, I'll tell you that one of the biggest examples is not this show, there's a guy named Neil Flynn uh, who played the janitor on Scrubs and then went Great. on a career. So and be the, the, the you know, the, the dad yeah. in the middle and stuff. And that guy was somebody that, he reminds me of guys like Brendan Hunt um, and Jason who, you know, who started the improv. People didn't know he's considered one of the best improv guys in the, on the planet. And that janitor character wasn't even a regular on Scrubs. And then we worked backwards from this brilliant improv comedic mind. And, and, and he kind of invented his character as he went. Um, on this show, the one time that you see some of that stuff happening is um, I think it's really, really interesting that um, most uh, or a large percentage of the cast are either writers as well on this show or accomplished writers on other shows. So you see them developing their characters as writers as they go. Nick Muhammad is not a writer on Ted Lasso, but he who plays Nate but he has simultaneously created his own show called Intelligence with David Schwimmer that he's the showrunner of and head writer of that's wow. uh, on the Peacock. And he turned what could just have been a meek one note character into you know, one of the show's leads simply by the strength of his, uh, you know, what he adds, what he how he reacts, what he does in the space and what he, you know, he kind of decided as a writer who Nate was, who his backstory was, and we've all kind of leaned into that. So uh, I really believe in giving, and I think Theo's great with it too, actors and actresses ownership of their characters once you get going. And it should be noted too, the guy that plays Roy, Brett Goldstein, one of the head writers on this show, also an accomplished showrunner, you know, and uh, uh, for Theo and me, because we both know him a little bit, probably the person that is the furthest away from who their uh, character is in real life. He's the sweetest, softy, overly sentimental, insecure guy that I, I love him that I've ever met. And then when I see him playing Roy, I'm like, that's hysterical that people think he's <laughs> a badass. Yeah.
Hey, David, do you like film noir? You have to see HBO's original series, Perry Mason. Yeah, 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 the old version, black and white. I know, I know. It was, it was mom and dad's favorite version. But this, this has got the guy from The Americans, Matthew Rees. And it's set in 1932 Los Angeles. It is amazing and stunning. And this guy, Rees, he just wears it. He plays this guy, this investigator, turned into a lawyer who's living check to check. And the guy is haunted by his wartime experiences in France and a broken marriage. You have to watch it. It's on HBO Max, all episodes, and it's up for Emmy consideration for drama series and all other categories. In terms, so it's on it's on Apple TV Plus. You have a lot of freedom there to do what you want. Um, when it came to casting the British ensemble, though, I mean, for American, for an American audience, this this is the first time we're seeing a number of these actors. For a UK audience, I imagine they know them. They, you know, they're very familiar faces. Not all of them, actually. It was really exciting because these guys didn't really know anybody and I didn't have any British execs going, we need notable people, notable British people. It, I had free reign and it was fantastic. I just got my favorite comedy act and actors, all act, you know, in and they're not, actually all that well-known some of them a lot of them i think part of the fun is that she could have told us that the you're gonna love this guy or girl because she's uh, or he's hugely accomplished and very famous here we would have bought into it but i could <laughs> you know what i mean i think that's part of the fun of the show is is yeah there's some veterans uh but there's some people that are, are just getting their feet wet how long does it take to assemble a cast of this size for, for a comedy series? Is it months or is it something like, you, you have a time you have a time frame, Teo, that's like, you could get this done in two weeks. Uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna set Theo, Theo up uh, because I wanna give her a compliment, which is sometimes in, in America, it goes quicker because for your principles, um, you're pulling from um, a, a pool of specific actors and actresses that you think suit the part. And for your other uh, uh, parts, you're pulling from people that you've generally uh, read before, worked with before, put on your shows before, especially if you've been doing shows for a long time. I will say going in um, for Theo to tip my hat is not only was it a huge cast of regular characters, but we are living in a world in which we want even the minor one-line characters to be accomplished actors and actresses. And we are looking at anywhere from five to 10 people for one-line roles. And then Theo, they would often become like Trent Krim, for instance, much bigger parts because he made a huge impression in the pilot as a reporter. But I would ask Theo too, like, have you ever been on a show like this where we're even looking at eight and nine choices for people that maybe have one sentence in an episode? Um, yes, probably. Huh. I mean, I, but I mean, I'm looking at, I probably look at about, I'm giving it, giving it away, but I probably look at, at about up to 20 people for a part, but then I only put forward eight, the eight best, eight of the best to the producers. So, um, but yeah, no, that's, that's usual actually in, in the UK as well. It, it's, I'm finding it's taken longer on this show because sometimes Thea won't know as much as we know in the writer's room and we're reading somebody who has one line but because we're looking at a white chalkboard, we also know that that person might end up being a major player, you know, four episodes later, five episodes later of uh, uh, 
um, and, and, and have to actually carry story and not just a random line and stuff. So it's kind of, it's been a fun experience for me with that of, uh, uh, people that might think they're getting into it for nothing and then have a big old role. Yeah, no, it's, it's cool. I remember when, when we were starting season two, um, just before Jason was texting me and he said, heads up, I want as many people back as possible. And so thank God I had cast, we had cast great actors in even the small roles because we are now bringing lots of people, maybe that's a spoiler, it's not. We're bringing lots of people back into season well, two from season one. It, it's a philosophy in this show that if you exist in this world, you continue to exist in this world. And American sitcoms really had that kind of one-off feel for a long time, which is someone would come in and do an episode and then you'd be like, see, if you're really good, you're gonna be on a different show. Yeah. <laughs> the um. This is something, uh, Teo, in general, uh, I don't want to make it specific to Ted Lasso, but how is it usually determined which actors read and which actors don't read for the part? Is it typically a negotiation between you and the agents or the creator and the agents, the, the executive producers and the agents? It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's me and the agents having a, having a chin wag about what they read. <laughs> understand i'm gonna read okay i will say <laughs> one of the great imp things impressions we had in, in the uk and I, i'm not judging because my wife is an actress and she lives in this world here in the states is that in the u.s um uh, the amount of uh actors and actresses because of the way we do things here that say offer only next to their name and will not read for a single thing is ridiculous um, and they're cheating themselves out because, and, you know, Jason to Theo right away off the, off the bat made an announcement that, uh, he's going to want, it doesn't matter who the person is, got to read just to see if it works. He's like, I would have read to see if it worked. And we lost some high profile actresses and actors that were interested in certain parts. And I would bet are kicking themselves now because Jason just made the edict of, man, I'll, I'll even read with you and work with you, but no one's getting this part, uh, any of these big parts without auditioning and showing that you want it. And the coolest thing in the UK is there seems to be very much a, an ethos of actors and actresses being, you know, uh, professional workers for hire and going after and reading things that they're interested in. I can't think of the one British performer that we were chasing that uh, didn't, you know, if they were available, didn't come in and audition, you know, for you. Oh, I mean, there were some fab, especially for the Rebecca role. Oh my goodness, we had some fabulous actors come in. But it's a testament to Jason and the scripts. Honestly, the writing was so good that we didn't have many many people say no. <laughs> so. so my way into the show was my wife was way ahead of ahead of watching, and when I started, I started with episodes uh, four and five, and then went back and re <laughs> and rewatched everything. <laughs> Why? And I just fell in love. I just fell in love. And initially, I'm a huge Juno Temple fan. I didn't recognize her. Huh. I, I did not recognize her. And then- She's such I mean, a chameleon anyway. That's her thing. Juno, yeah. in everything she does, she's different. I was going to say, edgy actress, but man, her, her comedy truly shines here. Can you talk more about that? Bring, bring her aboard. Uh, I will- uh defer to Theo because I believe Juno might be one of the only people that wasn't really that you know that we, we kind of just went after and offered but you, I, you'll yeah. remember better than me I That's will tell fun. you 
Yeah, I will tell you that Juno, um, my favorite story about Juno because of how good she is, is the sheer amount of time when we were shooting a pilot that she came up to me and said, just as, a, a, I don't know if it was normal insecurity or real, but she's like, just so you know, and you have to police it, I cannot do comedy and I'm, I'm not good at it. And it's not my forte and it's not a oh. world that I ever live in. She's sublime. And by the way, I, would, I kept saying to her, I'm like, you're killing it. And she said, you're just being nice. I'm like, I'm not. I think the fact that you're just playing it real and like a, a dramatic actress is what's making it so good and funny. But um, uh, she, her insecurity about it compared to how it's being received is awesome. But Theo, didn't you just have, because Jason, um, Jason's such a huge part of casting, by the way, of this too. But didn't yeah. Jason, didn't he had some history Jason. with her? Juno was Jason's idea. Yeah. We, we, we saw a lot of people in, in London, in America, and, you know, lots of good actors, but no one was quite right. Um, and Jason had thought of Juno because um, his wife at the time, Olivia, had worked with Juno and he'd met Juno. And he said, what about Juno? And we're like, yeah, but would she ever do it? And he just talk to her and tell you what he just it has amazing powers of persuasion and she said yes <laughs> yeah so it's exciting that, that that's the one that yeah that is the one part that we she we didn't read anyone she did that, she did or yeah, she did I, not audition but he had history with and he and we all knew god she could do it and then the only other convincing one was nick muhammad who played nate who did read for it but was very casual because he had his own show going and wasn't sure what he was doing. And so we had to get in the game and uh, sucker him into doing this one too. Oh yeah, yes, we did. How, uh, you know, understandable, like with a, with, this, with a show like Scrubs, you're writing the show and all of a sudden it's like, okay, we need to cast this guest star or this person or this actor. And there's an immediate casting process that's ongoing. How does that occur on a show such as as a streaming series such as Ted Lasso? Yeah, it's uh, I think it's even more harrowing um, for Theo because our world, you know, in, in the good side is that we build this cast of players that we return to again and again, you know, and, and I will tell you just to it's a, you know, um, congratulating Theo, too, is that anybody if anybody excels with one line or in a moment and uh does really good work even if they we weren't planning on seeing them again you un undoubtedly do i think what's hard for theo is in a show that has lots of rewriting and that has is shooting during a pandemic and is schedule locked she does get a lot of uh by the way, we need a character to do this by Wednesday and we don't know any actors or actors in this country. And so you need to have a list of people in front of us that we can watch by Monday because we're going to give them the job Tuesday. You know? No, Bill, it happened today. 11 p.m. last night, I was sent a scene that is shooting tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So by the way, I know it's because it's a rewrite on 209. Oh. Yes, exactly. No, it's, it's 202. It's that. Oh, scene. no, the two, oh, is, it, is it the 202 one that we're backfilling we're back the yes. pet thing? Yeah, I shouldn't, no, by no. the way, I just gave a spoiler. Yeah, because yeah. we're, uh, uh, sorry. Because I, by the way, that scene's missing and I have to put that into the cut and we no forgot. Worry. It's all in hand. It's all in hand. We taped people this morning. We chose them on, uh, we chose them at lunchtime. They got a COVID test this afternoon and they are shooting tomorrow. Yeah, it's easy, easy peasy. Easy. It's like a well-oiled machine. <laughs> That's amazing. How far along in season two are you? Are you almost done? 
Yeah, they're shooting the they're shooting the finale uh, uh, of season two next. Um, I used it as an excuse to split from uh, the UK because was when I was there, it was cold and rainy and still closed. Can you tease us anything? No, you know, I'll you tell mean? you the, the weirdest thing, and I know Theo's run into this as an issue, is we love working at Apple, but it is a technology company who thrives on secrecy. And one of the freakiest things when we were first casting the show is I had friends that were, you know, I knew were looking at parts and reading stuff and they're like, hey, what's this show about? Because all I was able to get was the page that I'm reading and Apple said I can't read the script and no one's allowed to read anything beyond these two pages. You know, so uh, uh, I believe with Apple's all controlling power that if I started telling you spoilers, we would all miraculously be disconnected from Zoom. Joint, joint, joint. Teo, is there a way you could tell us about uh, give us a little bit of insight either into Lord of the Rings or the Star Wars movies. Uh, these are huge. We'll huge... definitely be disconnected from Zoom if I can. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but how, how long does that, how long is that process? Is it months? Yeah, so, it... so Star Wars, I worked from start to finish on that for two years. And Lord of the Rings, we're still working on, and that's been two and a bit years. Two, I'm looking at my associate. Two, yeah, two, two and a quarter years from start, from from when we started. And then but this is—I don't feel guilty anymore, Theo. This is a this gig. <laughs> yeah, this is yeah. This, Ted Lasso. It's easy. Yeah, come on. <laughs> but when it comes to finding someone like a Daisy Ridley, is that would someone such as that read for the part like 15 times? Yeah, poor thing. She did. No, she she didn't read as much as many times as John Boyega, because we yeah da Daisy we cast first. She came in probably I don't know half a dozen times, um, and then John came in about a dozen times. Poor thing. I think he said that openly. So I just I I'm, not, say, I'm not we, away. We didn't yeah. torture anybody that much. Who who read the most for us? Was it Phil? Uh, yeah, Phil probably Phil Dunster because because we tried different accents. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. we uh, the guy that plays Jamie Tart and he eventually uh, that's the by the way the freakiest thing for me is the the training level of a lot of actors and actresses who haven't you know even gotten their careers going in a big way in the UK and their ability to switch regional accents and, and it, it was banana pants is so interesting. Yeah, gosh, Phil Dunster is so talented. He's going to be a big star now, right? Can we take credit for his career, Theo? I mean, or, or did he have a good enough start beforehand? I want to know that we can all, when he's a huge star, say that we discovered him. We can kind of say it, right? He'd, he'd done a bit. He'd done a bit. But this is this is his big break, definitely. Cool. All right. I just I'm want to know that when I'm claiming so to be responsible, that uh, even though I'm not and you are and Jason is, everybody else is, that it's at least a little legitimate. We are responsible. And I'm, I'm just so thrilled that we went with Phil for that part because he was just so perfect. He is really good. Yeah. And then I've often heard this about auditions. Tape never lies. Tape is 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 pretty solid when it's submitted, whether... Or do you see a difference between a live audition and a taped audition? I I don't I don't know about that, but it's interesting because in this time of COVID, when we're not meeting actors at all, I'm missing that. You know, when someone walks into a room, Bill, and you just know it's something about their body language. It's there's something, and you on a in a taped audition where where people are just sending stuff through, you just don't know. You don't uh, really know if I believe. Theo, I was going to argue with you because this is with me saying that my favorite story version of this 
is Zach Braff, who is a waiter, uh, sent in a tape from New York on Scrubs. Apparently, I watched it. I don't know. You know, it was dismissed. None of us knew it. And uh, uh, then he, he, you know, was thinking about the script. And he called his agent. He's like, I, I think this thing's so funny. I think I'd be good for it. And his agent told him they were so uninterested in your tape. I think that you could fly to LA and audition in person and pretend that you had never auditioned before <laughs> and they wouldn't know. And Zach came to Los Angeles and then uh, auditioned for us. And it was exactly what Theo said, his banter in the room and his ability to play and comedically to kind of go back and forth with us. And he, in the room, we were like, hey, we're taking you to the network and testing you for this part. And not until he got it, did he admit that he had already auditioned and been passed on. So, and that, that's why I think tape does lie. Cause it, especially in comedy, in comedy, you have this kind of connection with people um, that you can, and I don't just mean improving and riffing, you know, that there's a little sparkle added to it that you're vibing off of someone in person who's reading with you as opposed to whatever friend of yours is reading the lines off camera. Yeah. And then um, the other, you brought up a great uh, thing, Bill. Does testing go on on the streaming level? Like it, like, like it does on the network level where they're testing the actors before a studio, you know, before an audience, before a test audience to see if, you know. I think it varies service to service. I think the, you know, the network, American network system was this kind of system over time that everybody embraced the same thing, you know, of studio tests, network tests, blah, you know. Uh, and I found it so foreign and weird because um, I'm old enough that I remember, I mean, you know, people having to go into a casting director's office for their network test, not even a little theater where every, where there would be 25 people in suits shoulder to shoulder behind the casting director, Mark Hirschfeld's desk. You know, it's such a foreign thing for an actor or actress. And, you know, it's like, you get one chance, you know, because when we shoot this show, you'll get 50 chances and we'll shoot it from 20 different angles. But for some reason you get one chance in this person's office and then we'll decide. It was so weird. Now, site-to-site uh, -site changes, all HBO Max has is a, I mean, HBO Max is different. So all Apple has as a creative partner is when we got into it and made our choices, um, we presented them to the, uh, them. And best case, they'd say, oh, this actor or actress is awesome. And worst case, they would say, um, what is it about this um, actor or actress? Because we aren't seeing what you're seeing or... Um, um, can you have them do this scene a little more comedically or this scene a little more dramatically, but they never stopped us from doing anything. They're a, a real collaborative partner. Before we go, Teo, tell us how you got your start in the business in, in casting. Um, I started as actually as an agent. So I started on the other side and realized as I was calling all these casting directors that I wanted to be them. <laughs> I didn't want to be there. I wanted to be over there. <laughs> Fantastic. Fantastic. Thank you both so much. Sure. Thank you. That was super fun. Thank you. Excellent. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call Podcast on Deadline. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro, and our podcast series has been produced by David Janov. Make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode.